Well, I'd like to welcome back uh, Calvary Quakertown. Good to have you join us back again. I miss you guys. I'll see you guys next week. And as Charles said, uh, we're doing things a little bit different today. Uh, we're stepping out of our series. What we've been doing so far is that we've been in a series called The King. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at the life of Jesus as given to us in the account of Matthew. But today we're going to pause that. Because sometimes in life, something happens that causes us to realize that all of our plans, all of our expectations, all the things that we kind of think we are in control of, are really not. And sometimes we got to just pause and acknowledge that God is in control and just respond and spend some time looking at what he's doing. What I want you to know up front is that I have no desire today to talk to you about politics. I really don't. My desire today is to talk to you about the gospel. And the motivation for today is based on a deep passion and love for Jesus. And it's motivated by a deep passion and love for the church, which means it's motivated by a deep passion and love for you. You see, 2020 was a year that, well, many of us never experienced a year like that. And 2021 doesn't seem to be that much different. In fact, it crescendoed on January 6th. And we were left looking at a scene that just seemed like it was out of a movie with different feelings and emotions. We were left, for some of us, with feelings of, of anger, or for some of us, we had feelings of confusion, or, or maybe fear, or, or just, just not sure of what we were feeling. Well, what do we do with that? Can we just pause for a moment and just say, what do we do with that? How do we handle all of that? It's interesting what your mind may go to at times when things seem to be out of control or when things seem to be going ways that you're not sure of. It's interesting where your mind goes. For me, as I was trying to process everything, as I was trying to figure out what was happening, as I was trying to figure out my emotions, what happened for me is my mind went to venison stew. Venison stew. Let me explain to you why. It wasn't just any venison stew that my mind went to. My mind went to the venison stew that my great-grandmother used to make. We used to call her Abuelita. And when we would go visit Abuelita, we would go from, from Queens to Brooklyn to go visit Abuelita. She would cook this huge amount of food. Uh, she, would, she would cook uh, arroz con pollo, and she would cook pasteles and tostones and pastelillos and all sorts of Puerto Rican food that I grew up eating. But one of the things that she would make was venison stew. Now, again, let me remind you of the setting of Brooklyn. Not really the place where you're going to expect to have deer meat, right? In fact, that's not anything that I grew up with at all except for her house. And so we would go over there, and I remember the first time that I ever ate venison stew. We went over there, and, and she puts it on our plate. She put some rice, and she put the stew on top. She put it on our, our plates. And, and the reason she had venison was because her son, my great uncle, lived in Virginia, and he was a hunter, and he would send uh, venison up to her, and then she would get out her pressure cooker, which if you're Puerto Rican, you have to own a pressure cooker, or maybe you trade it in for an Instapot. We're not sure. We'll talk about that another time. 
But she would take the red wine out and she would make this venison. She put it on the plate and I'm looking at it and I'm told what it is. And I'm like, I'm not eating that. And in my mind, there's Bambi like running around and all that. I'm like, I'm not eating that. And my mom looked at me and I realized, yes, I was. (laughs) And I was going to like it. And so I take a spoon and I go and I dip my spoon into that food and, and I start to chew on it. And all of a sudden I bite down on something hard something small, something that feels like a rock. And I'm looking around and looking around, and finally I take a napkin and I spit it out and I pull out this pellet. <laughs> See, you all knew. <laughs> and I'm looking and, and my Abelita, she's laughing over there. My dad tells me that it's a buckshot, explains what that is. And I'm like, a bullet? I bit into a bullet. And then I looked at my mom and I was like, I'm not eating this. And then I looked again at my food and I looked at her and I was like, yes, I am. But five minutes later, it happened again. And from that point on, I told everyone that I hated venison stew. But it wasn't because of the taste of the stew. In fact, nobody else at the table experienced what I experienced. But this little, little tiny buckshot, this little tiny thing that was hard and, and brought some pain, this, this little thing that was meant for death and destruction somehow invaded my meal. And what happened was, is that I no longer thought that the buckshot was the problem. I thought that the stew was the problem. A couple of weeks ago, I was saddened to see something happen in our country that shouldn't have happened. As Charles said earlier, Responses of violence or destruction or chaos at any time is not okay. And so what happened at the Capitol was not okay. It was wrong. It did not honor God. But what was troubling for me as I began to watch coverage of it, what made me think of the venison stew at that moment was that as media and social media is, is, is telling us what is happening, what we begin to see are, are signs and banners and flags of, of God and the love of Jesus. And I couldn't help but think in that moment, is this the taste that our country, that our world has of the church and of Jesus? I couldn't help but think, is, is this their venison stew moment? That For the most part, the rest of the stew, nothing was wrong with it. It was actually good. Everything was fine with that. But this little little thing that invaded it caused the taste in my mouth to sour towards it. And my question is, did our country have a taste in their mouth that soured towards Christianity and the church? And then, for me, I began to see afterwards on Facebook and Instagram, I began to see that continue and it became a battleground for the church to just attack each other. And again, it's not everyone. It was, it was a small group of people, but it was enough to just sour the taste. I want to remind you of something that Jesus said in the book of John, John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus is talking and he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Our identity marker as Christians, our identity marker as the church is our love for one another. It is who we are meant to be. And yet, it seems at times that the loudest voice that our non-Christian family members, our non-Christian friends hear, is that the church is known more for what it hates than what it loves. How did we get here? And what do we do now? What needs to be our response as a church in the midst of all of this chaos? The first thing that we need to do, we need to do this on a personal level, we need to do this on a corporate level as a church, is we need to look a different direction. We need to just look a different direction, turn from where we're stating at. Sometimes in life, we need to stop looking at the setting that we are in and start looking to the one who created the setting. We need to stop looking at our own desires, our own wants, our own hurts, our own pains, and look to the one who is the source of the answer. We need to seek after the Lord. Psalm 34 says this, I sought the Lord. And he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him, look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We need to turn our gaze to Jesus. We need to seek after the Lord. Charles talked last week on repentance, and he said that repentance was simply turning. We turn from our own direction, our own agendas, our own uh, sins, our own desires. We turn and we gaze on Jesus and we turn towards him and we bring him not just our sins. We bring to him all of us, including our fears. And I tend to think that fear had a big part with some of the ways that we reacted and some of the ways that people in the church reacted recently in this season because I have heard so often about different fears in our lives. Fear of financial instability, fear of losing our rights, uh, fear of, of, of just uh, persecution or just losing the way that things uh, have always been. But when we allow fear to control us, what we end up doing is lashing out at others. And what we need to do is instead of lashing out at others, we need to turn and press into Jesus. And when we do that, what happens? It says that he will take our fears. He will take our fears. There is deliverance from our fears because God is far greater than anything we can fear, anything that we can fear. Turn to him. Refocus. Look at God and respond appropriately. And when we turn and we look at Jesus, when we turn and gaze upon Jesus, what will happen is that we will remember what Jesus said. We will remember what Jesus said. At the beginning of this series, Charles talked about the end of Matthew. He talked about the bookends of the book, and he talked about Matthew 28, which uh, some people in the church understand and know as the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, Jesus makes to us a bold claim and a bold promise. He makes a bold claim and he makes a bold promise. Matthew 28 Verse 18, 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus makes an amazing promise to his disciples. He makes an amazing promise to the church. He promises to be with his church, to be with his disciples. He does that through the presence of his Holy Spirit. He promises to be with us. And the comfort in that, the thing that we need to cling to, is that that promise came in the setting of that claim. All authority, all authority is Jesus's. And so anything that we fear, anything that can come to us, that can harm us, or that can come in our lives, that can, can, can potentially hurt us, anything that we are fearing, it is nothing compared to the authority of Jesus. And Jesus has promised to be with us. Jesus makes this bold claim, and he makes a bold promise. But sandwiched between that bold claim and bold promise is a bold command. A bold command. Jesus commands us to go and make disciples, to go and continue what he started. We have to keep in focus the main thing, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It needs to be proclaimed in our lives in both word and deed. It isn't a request from Jesus, it's a command. And it can't occur if we continue to just speak hate instead of love. We are commanded to go and make disciples. So in the midst of everything going around us, in the midst of all of this chaos, we need to turn. We need to turn with hearts that gaze upon Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we remember what he says. And we remember his bold promise, his bold claim. And then we go out and live out his command. We live out the mission of Jesus. We continue what he started. And in order to understand the mission about Jesus, we need to kind of understand a little bit of something about God. God restores. God restores. There are times that we may make other statements about God that seem to be uh, just more common in the church. God loves. God provides. God forgives. God protects. Those are all true statements about God. But one of the things that we tend to not say as often, but it's just as true, is that God restores. God heals. Sometimes life breaks us in order for God to make us, in order for God to step in and restore us and make us into what he desires us to be. Let me give you a little bit of example of what that healing and restoration can look like. Last week, when everything happened in our capital, Jay, Charles, and I posted a response, and we posted a response that included a verse from 2 Chronicles. The verse says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a great verse. It's a great promise. There's this promise of healing in that verse. And we need to look at this verse 
and see the beauty and depth of it. But did you notice if you read it with me? It's not a complete sentence. It's an incomplete sentence. There's actually a beginning of that sentence, and it's in verse 13. And the thing is that most people just quote verse 14. In fact, we only quoted verse 14 last week, but you don't fully understand verse 14 unless you look at verse 13. The sentence is, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We don't usually want to focus on that first part of the sentence. Those are the kind of verses that make us uncomfortable. In fact, those are the kind of verses that we kind of wrestle with when we look at what God is saying in that. But let us not lose sight of the authority that we learned about in Matthew 28. There is nothing that occurs in our life. There is nothing that occurs in our world. There is nothing that occurs in our country. There is nothing that occurs in our community that is outside of the authority of God. There is nothing there is nothing that occurs that is outside of the authority of God. And I don't know how to handle that at times. Because sometimes I would do things very different from God. Sometimes I don't get it. And sometimes it takes someone else to remind me of what's important. The wisest words I have heard in the midst of all of this craziness and of trying to figure out all of this stuff that's going on inside and all this stuff that's going around us, the wisest words that I heard so far was from my 11-year-old son. As he's wrestling with all of this and trying to process this, he said to me, Dad, sometimes God takes things away so that we come to him. Sometimes God takes things away so that we come to him. The most important thing for us, the most important thing for you, the most important thing for me, the most important thing in all humanity is God himself. For us to be with God, for us to be with him. And sometimes God will shake our lives so that we can get to that point. We need to be with him. That is what matters. It's not financial stability that matters. It's not uh, power that matters. It's not, it's not even our freedom that matters. What matters is Jesus. That's what matters. We need to turn to God and remember the promises and claims of Jesus. And when we turn to God, we need to pray. We need to humbly pray. Humility is when you see God for who he is. And in light of who God is, you see yourself. That's humility. It's placing God on the throne. It's accepting his grace and his healing, but also accepting his mission and his lordship. It's placing God on the throne. I need to ask myself at times, 
as I process things, as I process things that come into my life that may anger me or may hurt me or, or those things, I need to ask myself if my, if my solution to that is to write friends off or if my solution to that is to alienate family members or if my solution to that is to build up walls of bitterness, then I have to ask myself, am I truly placing the one who belongs on the throne on the throne because the one who belongs on the throne is Jesus the King? You see... Jesus calls us to a self-sacrificing life. Jesus calls us to be others-focused. Some of the best examples I have ever seen of that have been by many of you here at Calvary Church. One of the best examples of that kind of self-sacrificing life was a man and a woman by the name of Bob and Ruth Ann Moore. Bob and Ruth Ann, if you never had the privilege of meeting them, spent decades in South America as missionaries for God. They literally lived out the life of self-sacrifice. They went through tons of hardships. In fact, their life should be a movie. They gave up everything for the sake of the gospel. They went through difficulty and pain and hurt so that others would hear the good news of Jesus and that their lives would be changed. Bob went home this week to be with that Lord that he loves so much. And I consider it a privilege that my wife and I were able to go visit him a couple of weeks ago and just listen one last time to him. We've been impacted personally by Bob and Ruth Ann in amazing ways, and we love them both. And as I listened to Bob, he began to talk to me about when he first knew that he was going to go into missions. He first felt that calling from God, and he was down in Peru, and he went to the, to the pastor, the missionary down there, and he began to talk to him, and, and the pastor said, you need to go back home and go to Bible school. And Bob was like, no, that's not me. I'm not a Bible school kind of guy. And he was trying to resist it. And then finally, finally, the pastor looked at him and said this, Bob, you're a dull axe that needs to be sharpened. You're a dull axe that needs to be sharpened. He's still a valuable tool for God. He was still a valuable tool at that point for God to use, but he needed to be sharpened. And so God gave Bob that word and Bob obeyed. And he allowed God to sharpen him. And because of that, countless lives were changed. I tend to think in this moment, if for some of us, what God is saying is, you're a dull axe, and you need to be sharpened because I'm ready to use you in a way like you've never seen. You need to be sharpened. And so we need to enter into the family business right now. God is a God who restores, so we need to be people who restore. We need to be people of healing. People who restore relationships, people who restore communities, people who restore families, and so on and so forth. We need to restore relationships that have been destroyed by racial injustice. 
We need to restore relationships that have been wrecked havoc by the demonizing of police officers. Both of those things are not okay. We need to restore relationships that have been damaged by political ideologies. We need to be restore relationships that have been damaged by our actions on social media or our actions with each other. We need to enter into the family business because the family business is not a demolition business. It's a restoration business. We need to be a church that brings healing to our country. We need to be agents of restoration. It's time for us to refocus ourselves and look at God and remember the promises of Jesus, his claim and his promise and his command, and then to go out and live on mission and continue what he started. It's time for us to bring restoration to our country, to our community, to our families. It's time for us to be the church. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. First step, we know we don't know all of the steps. I'm going to tell you that up front. We don't know all the steps. Charles Day and I, we're, we, we just don't. We're just figuring it out. We're trying to see where God's leading us. But we do know the first step. We do know the foundation that we're going to create. The first step is this. We're going to do exactly what the verse in 2 Chronicles tells us to do. We're going to pray. And so Jay, Charles, myself, we are calling on Calvary Church this week to fast and pray. We're entering into a seven-day fast, a seven-day call to prayer. And so fasting is depriving something in your life to remind you of your dependence on God, but also it allows you to have that trigger inside of you that reminds you when you look and turn to something else that you need to be turning towards God. It disrupts your regular rhythm. It disrupts what's happening in your life so that you can be reminded of your need to come to God. And so maybe you fast this week from something of more traditional fast. Maybe you fast from food, a meal each day, or dessert, or whatever it is. You know, maybe you do that. That's between you and God. But maybe, 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 maybe this week we need to fast from something different. Because if there are things in your life that trigger you to respond in ways contrary to the gospel, maybe that's exactly what we need to give up this week. So I know this is going to be a kind of a crazy week to say this, but maybe for some of us, maybe we need to fast from CNN or Fox News. You know, go read the paper instead of being on the TV all day long. Old school. Maybe. If that's your trigger, if that's what kind of just gets that anger up inside of you, put that aside this week. Maybe for some of us, it's social media. Maybe it's Facebook and Instagram. Maybe that's your trigger. If that's the case... Put that aside this week. You see, we're going to be doing that as a statement, a visual statement as a church. In order to have solidarity with you publicly, what we will do this week is we will refrain this week from making posts on our normal social media pages. And we ask that as you notice that, or as you yourself participate in that kind of fast, to use those reminders as times to pray, and not just pray for what you desire. That's not what I'm asking you to pray for. I'm asking you to pray for healing. Pray for each other. Pray for our church. Pray for the church as a whole, not just Calvary Church. Pray for our country. Pray for our county. Pray for our communities, our families. Pray humbly. Pray 
and love. Be the church this week. We don't know what will happen later. We don't know what the future holds. And so I ask you to turn to the one who does know and gaze upon him and press into Jesus this week and ask God to heal our families, our relationships, and heal our land. Let's be the church this week. Lord, we come to you with hearts of expectation. Lord, we come to you humbly, knowing that there are things that we need to repent of, that I personally need to repent of, of the hurt that I've caused myself to other people. I ask for forgiveness. Lord, I ask you to bring healing to our land. Healing like we've never seen before where we've seen divisiveness like we've never seen before, like we've seen hatred like we've never seen before, disunity, Lord, I ask you to bring healing like we've never seen before, that you would come and just show and reveal yourself in ways that will astound us, that our hearts resonate with the gospel. Let us sacrifice our own personal desires, our own personal uh, strivings, and instead put your kingdom first. And let us love relentlessly. Let us love with strength and humility. Lord, be with us. Heal us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.